without me in a bra, and that was exactly. it. What's going on, Pearl Jam nerds? You're listening to Single Podcast Theory, and I am your host this week, all by myself, Brad Lyons. Hope you guys are doing well. I am. We're in the middle of our little two-week break in order to regroup, but I figured this would be a good chance to keep a little bit of content coming out there. I don't know how many of you guys um, listen to the solo episodes or whatever, but... For those of the, you that do, I hope you enjoy it. This one's going to be a little bit different for me. It's funny, Brad has Brad B has always kind of jumped in, I think from the beginning, and done at least one that I, I don't know if there was any Pearl Jam a couple times. It's just all this stuff that he listens to, and I've always done ones that still pretty much rotate around Pearl Jam. And this is the first one where there won't be any Pearl Jam. Nary a Pearl Jam song in this episode. So, yeah, it was kind of Jason Barker. If you guys have been listening to the show, or if you've been listening to the show at all, then you know that name, at least. He's our friend up in the Great White North, the fucking Canuck. Uh, He had written an email, I think just to me, I can't remember, it doesn't matter. He's like, man... Do one of these solo episodes and just do your thing. What do you listen to? What do you like? Well, you know, we all know you like Pearl Jam. I mean, those aren't his words. I'm I'm butchering it and paraphrasing it because we all know Barker's a fucking wordsmith. That's what he is. He's his his mastery. He's a black belt in fucking with the English language in a way that's funny. You like that description, Barker? If you're listening. So I decided to uh, kind of take his advice and see what happens here. So I've queued up some songs. I don't know. I feel like they give a decent representation of things that have actually influenced me, things that I just love, um, why I love them. Maybe I I guess I kind of looked at it like, okay, you guys already know how I feel about Pearl Jam, and you know what my favorite Pearl Jam songs are, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but I also make music for a living. And I, you know, I write myself and help other people write and produce records and whatever. So creativity and music, uh, while it is something that I, I do enjoy just listening to and whatever, it is part of my job as well. So maybe it gives me a little bit of a different perspective when I listen to music, maybe than someone who doesn't play or, or do it for, for a living, doesn't look at it um, like it's a, or I do anyway, like it's a, a problem to solve. It's something to figure out that's that's really hard to figure out, I think, anyway. I kind of, it sounds weird to say, I've, I've kind of grown jealous of people that don't listen to music that way. They just enjoy it. And they don't give a fuck what's going on where or what <laughs> what frequency is 
getting boosted in the chorus or what limiter is on the master bus. It's just like, I like the way it makes me feel. Uh, and I have to admit that it's harder to listen that way because I'm always trying to figure shit out. I don't know. So it's going to be a little bit of everything for me uh, this episode. Although I will say this is not a good cross-section of the music I listen to. I'm kind of – maybe I'm just kind of like sticking my toe in the water right now with you guys see what happens because this is all going to be kind of in the rock and roll era or area, I should say. Uh, there's a little bit that deviates, I guess, but – I listen to tons of rap and hip hop and uh, all other kinds of stuff that's not rock and roll. And I left most of that off, I feel like. This is a good kind of first step into, and a lot of it is, rock and roll is what I think may got me into music, Go, going from being a, a listener and I guess kind of I enjoyed music and whatever, but you know, I've said it a million times, it was bands like Zeppelin, specifically, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, um, the Melvins. Uh, these are the people that made me want to play rock and roll. I wanted to be in a band with those guys. You know what I mean? Uh, and maybe that's a good way to, to segue into my first selection of the evening. Uh this is a band, it's Zeppelin. I'm just going to go ahead and not, it's not going to be a surprise. I think, I'm not going to say that it was the first Zeppelin song I fell in love with. Mem the human memory is terrible, but I do think, I, I mean, I know it was one of the first, one of the first that I heard and I loved it. I've, uh, this is one of those songs where I've loved it since I heard it. Now, of course, I had heard, let me be specific about this. I had heard whole lot of love. Of course, I had heard Stairway to Heaven before, but at that age, that time in my life, they were almost presented as uh, not novelties. Yeah, I guess, you know, Stairway to Heaven being the thing that every, you know, the joke was always, if you're just learning guitar, that's what you sit down, you know, at the guitar store and play really badly and annoy the fuck out of everybody else. It's Stairway to Heaven, stuff like that. Of course, I had heard it, but the stuff that made me fall in love with Zeppelin was stuff like this song, which is uh, Good Times, Bad Times. Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You still wrecks me to this day. And if any song, I think, helped me walk through the door and kind of understand Zeppelin in a in, in a different or a more real way, I will go out on them and say that I think Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You might have been the first Zeppelin song that I heard that I like super connected with for some reason. And it makes sense to me now because the instrumentation, I love it. I love the dynamics of the song, all that. But I think Good Times, Bad Times is also a great example of what I love about, I think, everybody in this band. Every person in this band has multiple kind of standout moments that kind of you could make the argument that it sums them up in some way as a player. I mean, there's that one, like, it's like just like a half bar or one bar in the middle of the song. I think they're going from the core. Yeah, they're going from the first chorus to what in a traditional arrangement would be the second verse, and I guess you could still call it that, but it's not the same as the first verse. It's just not. It's, a, it's like 
that's we've just listened to the A section, the B section. You think the A section is coming back and they go to a C section. But it doesn't – you have to notice it. It never feels weird. It just – they just glide right into this – I mean you could almost make the argument that it's a bridge. And then they go into another chorus and then they go – uh, I think then into a guitar solo, and then I think it's back to it kind of gets normal after that, I guess. But uh, it's a completely different guitar part. the The riff is different. The vocals are completely different. When you sit and look at it, it's it's a little bizarre. It's a little weird, and it's weird because you don't really notice it. I fucking love it. Uh, of course, it's got the the classic example of the John Bonham kick drum. That one pedal sounds like it's a double kick pedal and you can hear him in the verses i mean he kind of does it i think he does it at least once through every quote-unquote verse section but i think the last one he just does like a whole two bars or something like that of just he just keeps doing that double kick all the way through uh and it's so when you put it into context this is one of those things where it's like a lot of drummers listen and they go i can do that yeah Okay, I, I can do that too, but did you do it? Did you do that in 1969 when this record came out and nobody was doing that shit? I mean, it probably came from jazz guys, to be honest with you. That's probably where that came from, if you were able to trace it back. But uh, no, man, this shit is insane for the year 1969. And I think that's something, that kind of perspective and understanding classic rock and in context of what was happening at the time is what made me a lover of all these bands too. And I realized like, oh, they were, they were just fucking blowing shit up. That was not normal to do back then. Okay. I could rant about that kind of stuff forever. Let's just get to the song. Oh, and I was going to say about John Paul Jones real quick. When I got into my little tangent about the arrangement, there's like, I think it's after the first chorus, uh, and they stop, and it's this badass John Paul Jones electric bass fucking... It's not even a run. It's like a little solo. And it's so fucking cool. And then they land right in that next section. All right, I'm going to shut up. Let's just, let's just listen to it. I'm really testing the waters here. I hope we don't get taken down. Oh, God. All right, here we go. <laughs> that double kick no Yeah, where did this section come from? It only took a couple of days for she was rid of me. She swore that she would be all mine and love me till the end. But when I whispered in her ear, I lost another breath. 
Did you hear that? Come on. I'll tell you one thing. A little observation from Lions here. 60s, you know, 70s even. I don't know. I, I don't know. This is just a thought. I don't have all the facts in front of me. You know what I'm saying? But I think the uh, no one worked on endings for songs. It was just kind of like, everyone get in the room. How are we going to end it? I don't, I, I don't know. We'll just, we'll just see what happens. And then they just go, Okay, we'll just fade it out. And when you really think about it, some of those songs become very. It's it's so, it's it's a good thing that the first you know, seven eighths of the song is so good because this fucking deflating, just slow fade out while the band's dicking around is so. I don't know. Come on, guys, don't be lazy. Oh, maybe it's a technology thing back then. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't there then. I wasn't there. Okay. I was an engineer back in the sixties. I wish I could. That's one of those time machine things. I'd fucking go back in time and people are like, Oh, I'd go, I'd go talk to Jesus and see what he was really like or what. And that's, that's cool. I get it. But I want to go be in the hallway at LaGrange when, uh, they put mics up in the hallway of this shotgun staircase and uh, recorded the drums for When the Levee Breaks. I think, I think, again, I don't have all the facts. I'm just kind of roughing here. The, the most sampled uh, drum pattern, like of all time, When the Levee Breaks. If you're sitting there going, oh, I don't really know that song. I don't listen to Led Zeppelin. Here's the point. If you, you know, pause this right now, Go over to your Spotify, Apple Music, whatever, and find that song. It'll take you two seconds to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that drum part. Fucking John Bonham. Unbelievable. Um, I, I apologize. This is going to be a very – I don't apologize. It's a warning that this is going to be a very off-the-cuff um, episode. And I uh, – you might not think so all the time. From the regular episodes, you might think Brad B is the tangent guy, and he is, but I'm very capable of doing the same thing. So, if that's not your bag, it's cool, man. We'll be back in what, like a week, something like that? Okay, so here we're getting into some of the artists that, you know, everyone's like, yes, of course, Zeppelin's why, you know, so many people got into music or started playing an instrument or. <clears throat> wanted to become a producer, whatever it is. Um, but then there's some of those artists that, and I understand it because I went through periods with a lot of these artists that I'm about to, that I'm about to list that, you know, the Bob Dylan's, the Neil Young's, the, um, the Leonard Cohen's, which is what I'm about to get to. Yeah. I, I mean, I get it. They don't have the, these technically proficient, Voices that can uh, sing crazy intervals back to you um, after hearing, the, like, it's none of that. It's just about 
emoting. And sometimes emoting and getting that stuff out is a really messy process. It's not it, – it, to get the thing you like, I've, I've kind of been beating this drum for a long time. To get the stuff you like to listen to, uh, they had to fuck up a whole bunch probably. I mean sometimes magic kind of literally happens and things, you know, it's just that's it. That one time you played it and the mics were on and or the the record button was hit and they captured it. Yes, that happens, but that's real rare. And uh, I think Leonard Cohen's an example of that. He said in many interviews that um, he can take forever to write one song or poem or whatever. But for me, yeah, I guess if I was to sit and critique these people's voices, I'd probably have a lot to say, but it doesn't matter because when they start playing and singing, <clears throat> what was that? A singing. I won't edit, edit that out. Uh, when they start playing and singing, I just feel something. And he, okay, so Leonard Cohen's also a poet, like legit. I mean, no offense, but this isn't like a jewel situation. You know what I mean? Putting out a book of poetry or whatever. That happened when I was in high school, I think. Um, God, I probably owned a copy of it. There's no, there's absolutely, that seems like so long. It wasn't that long ago, but it uh, seems like a completely different person. Anyway, I told you. I love his poetry as well, and I love this. To me, is the perfect example. Of this next song um, that I'm gonna put some of you through. Some of you guys will love it, but it's it's literally a a letter written to what sounds like another person involved in a um, some sort of maybe adulterous love triangle of some sort, you know. Uh, and he even ends the song with sincerely L. Cohen signing off a letter. I don't know. I think that's cool as shit that you can pull that off. And he does. It's like it makes total sense. No one else has, I mean, that I know of that has written a great song has, I don't know. It's He put a letter to this haunting drop D I think guitar you know acoustic guitar part and these angelic he's always known especially in that period for these kind of angelic female voices that he throws on his records to kind of help <laughs> bring some melody because he could, he's so talky uh in the way he sings sometimes but this is kind of I love so much of his music and so many songs but if I had to give someone one song I think it's got to be famous blue raincoat. So, here it is. I I hope I hope you enjoy it. Try it out. It's four in the morning, the end of December I'm writing you now just to see if you're better New York is cold but I like where I'm living There's 
Music on Clinton Street all through the evening I hear that you're building your little house Deep in the desert You're living for nothing now I hope you're keeping some kind of record Yes, and Jane came by He didn't hit either of those notes, I don't give a shit She said that you gave it to her That night that you planned to go clear Did you ever go clear? Oh, the last time we saw you You looked so much older Your famous blue raincoat was torn at the shoulder You'd been to the station to meet every train Then you came home without Lily And you treated my woman to a flake of your life. And when she came back, she was nobody's wife. Well, I see you there with a rose in your One more thin gypsy thief Well, I see James away She sends her regard I guess that I miss you I guess I forgive you I'm glad you stood in my way If you ever come by here For Jane or for me Well, your enemy is sleeping woman is free yes and thanks for the trouble you took from her eyes I thought it was there for good so I never tried brutal and Jane came by with a lock of your hair She said that you gave it to her That night that you planned to go clear 
sincerely, Elkhorn. Could that have been possibly the world's first quote-unquote mic drop recorded on tape? No, it's not. But how bad is that? Ending? Okay, I mean, I'm not going to pull apart. If you like the song enough, you're interested or whatever, I mean, go back and listen to the song again. And, you know, I think I'm going to put a playlist together on my Apple Music. Sorry, I'm not on Spotify, but uh, I'll figure that out and we'll... We'll, we'll post what it's called or whatever. Anyway, uh, you know, by the end, he's thank you know, this, this is a letter to the man that I guess he had been friends with. And then that friend stole his, his lady, his wife, and he's writing him a letter. And by the end of it, he's thanking him. Come on. Sincerely, L. Cohen. All right, I got to move on from that one. Uh, oh, I, uh, look at this. I'm keeping it chill. Okay, here's some new shit. Meaning, you know, within the last year, I guess, or something like that. And yes, everyone talks about this record, and they should. I get it. I talk about it all the time. I When this record came out, I listened to it. I mean, I was obsessed with it. It was the only thing in my car. If I was in my car and I was listening to music, it was this record. It was the Billie Eilish record. All right? Pearl Jam fans, that's right. I love this shit. I'm not going to play. It's not a single. It's not. And I, I mean, I love the singles. But the singles are not why I love that record. I'm glad they're there. As a full record, they fit. It's great. It's stuff like this. This is, you know, the last two songs, old ones, classic songs, examples of kind of just not giving a fuck, which I love about that time period because you couldn't. You didn't have Pro Tools. You you you, you fucking played it or you didn't. There was not enough time to cut that much tape and... uh it had to feel good. That's, I think that's what they, I don't know that back then there was ever a, a, that one note was a little, he's saying that a little sharp. Fuck that. It was like, did we all play together and fucking murder it? As far as like moving people? Yeah. That's what fucking counted. Now this is on the, in I think in a good way, like the opposite end of the spectrum. This is such a thoughtful, orchestrated just talk about i bet the mixing and the mastering i bet the whole process it just sounds like someone who's just compulsive obsessive uh just pixel fucked the shit out of this cleaned up every little thing because this is a fucking headphone song so i hope some of you guys are listening on on headphones um the mix this in the mix the production is like sound design. It reminds me, that's what this whole record reminds me of is, and it's because I work in a, in a studio that does sound design and 
fully on all that stuff. And so much of the sounds on, so many of the sounds on this record aren't pulled from a, a sample library of kick sounds. And I'm, that's definitely there, but this is a good example of, you know, the, I think the whole first verse is just vocal with with these little noises and these little taps and stuff with delays on them that kind of give you a sense of motion and rhythm. Like the piano, the quote-unquote rhythm instrument, doesn't even come in until the second verse. Uh, and the beautiful thing about this record from kind of a dynamics, engineering, mastering kind of thing is that they just limit the fuck out of all the synth bass on this. Well, I feel like it's on the whole thing. Maybe it's not but it's noticeable when it happens. They just, there's nothing tasteful about it in the best way. They're not like, well, let's really just try and like, you know, make make the synth bass this kind of warm bed, kind of felt, not heard. No, it's, they fucking slam it and it just, your whole fucking car shakes. But the good, but what's brilliant about it is that it's not the whole song. There's so much of this record where there's no bass at all. and But then when it comes in, it just blows shit up and then it's gone again. It's fucking great. It's just super simple, super nuanced, and it's just a beautiful song. I mean, you could have, you can do this song. Uh, maybe I'll look on YouTube. Maybe she has her and her brother that did this record. Maybe uh, you could do this song just one vocal and a piano, and it'd be fucking just as good. But I love all this nerdy shit. I think it's like the best of both worlds. So. Uh, This is a track called When the Party's Over, and I love it. Thank you. 
hear those vocals it's like asmr you can hear her tongue on the 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 top of her mouth the roof of her mouth kind of where the the roof of your mouth and your teeth start you can hear all those little things and it becomes part of the you know becomes part of the rhythm that you're feeling almost not in a real upfront way but you know, you just hear every little thing she's doing. And she, you know, again, it's like, doesn't matter where you do this stuff, right? It's like, I'm in this huge studio right now. They recorded that vocal. Uh, I saw an interview with her brother. Is Whatever the mic was, it wasn't anything special. And it was just plugged straight into a fucking interface. I don't even know what if any preamps they were using I mean, is that literally bedroom bedroom recordings for all that kind of stuff uh anyway that's some of the new shit but what do we got next oh okay some of you guys are gonna hate me for this one too i think and i'm not being okay this is a pearl jam podcast lots of us love fucking uncle neil i get it i absolutely love him and I'm not doing that thing where, like, I like to say the most obscure record from a really famous artist is my favorite record. I hate that shit, too. Just trust me, it's not what I'm doing. But, and I'm not even going to say it's my favorite Neil Young record. But one of my favorite Neil Young records is, to some people, or a lot of people, a very obscure record. A lot of people, I'll say that, and they've never heard of the record, but it's on the beach. And... I'm going to play, again, I'm not trying to be contrarian. It's just I really do love this. And it's one of the things that kind of exemplifies one of the things that I love about Neil Young, which is his way that he doesn't give a fuck. He is one of those, he shows the band the changes one time in the room. And then we'll just play the song. And kind of no matter what happens, that's what, they're done. That's it. <laughs> There's not like, hey, maybe we could smooth out that transition into the second chorus or whatever. It's like, Neil's going to fucking kick you out of the room. And his guitar playing is like that on electric. And this isn't, you know, this isn't like crazy horse Neil shit. This is just, oh, I'm not even going to try to explain anymore. The weirdest, yeah, I fucking love this guitar but both guitar solos the i think they're both toward the end like halfway through and then it might be the out or something and he's just fucking making noises and shit at one point it even sounds like the drummer doesn't know if this is for real anymore and almost kind of it gets kind of jerky and he kind of stops playing for a second um and that's what's on the fucking record and i truly love it this is uh vampire blues Thank you. 
Young as an alien. I'm a vampire baby sucking blood from the earth. I'm a vampire baby. Sell you 20 barrels worth. I'm a black bat baby. weird shit that he makes feel kind of normal maybe not maybe it's just me uh but i love it 
not many people would, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm rebelling against the thing that I've realized about myself is that and you have to go through this period, but I'm so embarrassed of having gone through a period where like, I really, I don't know, would nerd out in a certain way that had nothing to do with music, which is ostensibly what I'm in love with and what my passion is or whatever. I mean, that learning, you know, whether it's scales or about how compressors work or, you know, whatever side you are on, you know, the process or part you are in the process of making music. None of that stuff, re- I mean, it does. It's weird. It does matter, but it kind of doesn't, right? Like that recording we just heard, no one's winning engineer of the year for that, right? I mean... Whatever, but it doesn't fucking matter because that thing is like fucking captured. Um, Here's another example of it, which is we're going to go back to the 90s now. A little more current than the last one. I had a hard time with this. My favorite Nirvana record, as I've said on the show many times, is without a doubt in utero. And I was going to subject you guys to milk it which I love that song, but I don't know. I kind of felt like if I was going to put that after something like Vampire Blues, then I don't know, maybe then I just would be being a dick. But Scentless Apprentice, fucking, if you've ever heard that, the first fucking five seconds of that song, it's another one of those Dave Grohl, I mean, how many, how many drum moments does he have at the top of a song? Actually, probably not that many, but the ones that he has, super fucking important. Who doesn't know fucking My Hero? I mean, get the fuck out of here. And then Scentless Apprentice. It's, I think this is one of the songs that they actually wrote around his drum part. And it, it might even be Dave's riff, too. I'm sure someone out there screaming at their fucking phone or their whatever. If you know it, uh, I don't have all the facts. Write in. Singlepodcasttheory at gmail.com. Do that. Uh, But I know they at least kind of wrote the song after this drum part. So I'm going to shut the fuck up, and here we go.
That's right, don't write a fucking hooky chorus, just fucking scream your balls off. I mean, I would say that a good 50% of the song is just noise, and it works. That's super weird. Yeah, well, I was meaning to say this earlier, and I went on one of my fucking tangents. Steve Albini, the producer for this record, uh, if you haven't, surely you have, this is a Pearl Jam podcast, but if you haven't, um, you can look up the letter that Steve Albini wrote to Kurt and the band, pleading, basically, and saying, I'll have to reread the letter. I think he's even saying, I'll fucking do it for free. I don't want my name as producer. Um, I just want to record what you guys do. And it was kind of a, I don't think it was like a fuck you or anything, but it was a, this guy, Steve Albini, who look him up if you don't know who he is, but he's a Chicago producer, did tons of indie shit. It was like Pixies, all kinds of cool shit. Anyway, um, I guess probably saw them live or, whatever and realized and you know again especially for me too like no bitch vig is fucking great and he made it's kind of like 10 right people shit on the including myself shit on the the mix of 10 reverb and it's all kind of cleaned up and that's really it ends up that's not who pearl jam is right however that's i agree with that people say the same thing about Nevermind, but Nevermind and Butch Vig's production and that mix is what fucking 
blew up. So it's not, I don't love in utero because I hate Nevermind, but I think Steve Albini was right in his observation that while Nevermind is a great record, what is great about them is yes, their songs, yes, they're a powerful three piece, but it's what happens in the room when they are playing. And that's what he captured. I mean, I think a ton of this stuff was just the three of them in a room with, I would imagine, especially compared to Nevermind, minimal overdubs. It's just, like I said, what happens when uh, Nirvana gets in the room. All right, we're going to move on to another one that's the opposite end of the spectrum. This is a brutal lyric that anyone that's an adult and has been in a relationship can relate to, I think. Uh, It's one of the examples of what I would consider for a song like this, kind of flawless production. It's super short, um, or the section of the song where there's actually lyric and melody is, it's kind of an instrumental with very sparse lyrics, but when the lyrics are there, they fucking, they count. And it's really chill, and I'm not gonna say anything more about it. We're just gonna listen to it. Uh, It's actually, from Death Cab from uh, Death Cab for Cutie, it's a song called "Brothers on a Hotel Bed." From I think that they have two perfect albums, which is Plans and uh, Narrow Stairs, back to back records. This is from Plans. making all that noise in the background, just, you know, taking something and scraping, opened uh, opened up piano, just kind of probably a lot of tracks with some reverb, someone just scraping all those strings to make that kind of, it's still got pitch to it in a way. You can hear some like uh, ch- wind chime sounding things in there, just all probably stuck on top of each other underneath that really sparse piano. I fucking love it. saying uh, I'm gonna get hate for this I, I think it's like 50 ways to leave your lover good fucking love this drum part you may tire of me as our December sun is setting cause I'm not who I used to be no longer easy on the eyes Wrinkles masterfully disguise the youthful boy below who turned your way and saw something he was not looking for, both the beginning and an end. But now he lives inside 
Someone he does not recognize When he catches his reflection on accident beautiful stuff um brutal lyric but it doesn't it's it's one of those brutal lyrics like um it's realistic it's not that like uh oh my god i'm gonna die without you i get that i've you know i've, I've been there before but if i could go back and talk to myself then i would also say dude, shut the fuck up, get on with it, it sucks, whatever. But um, you don't hear a whole lot of songs that make you feel that way, where it's like, oh, God, this is brutal, and I can really relate to it. And I don't know. It's the, the the imagery in the song was really good, too. I mean, that just even the title, title Brothers on a Hotel Bed. Um, I love, I don't know. Parker, you're not the only wordsmith. Ben Gibbard is too. Um, how many of you guys were really surprised that I played Death Cab? I bet there's some, some surprised nerds out there. I love those two records though. Um, all right. I seem to just be going back and forth today. Maybe, you know what it is? I don't like the in-between. I'm going back and forth from just like crazy fucked up raw whatever to these these beautifully put together compositions and recordings and mixing and all this kind of stuff the 90s though man that's where 
I keep going back to all that stuff. Just like my dad always went back to the who, stuff like that. I guess this is now the old people music. Is that what's that? Yeah, that's totally what's happening. Fucking Dinosaur Jr. will fucking murder 99.4% of all the rock bands that are still in existence out there. I don't give a shit whether you like them or not. Um, they still tour. They're still bad. They're still loud as fuck. I'm also realizing this is like, I'm not 100% positive. This is like a seven minute song. I don't think I'm going to play the whole thing, but fucking Jay Mascus, Dinosaur Jr. This is from uh, their 1993 release. I think it's the title track if I'm remembering correctly, but this is uh, out there. Those of you that have been listening to this show for a long time, you know, if you've never heard them before, you can probably hear right away why I love this shit. <laughs> I mean... He's literally, he's singing like this, like an octave, like this is like the main melody. He's literally singing like, oh my God, but I love it. And then he's, he's kind of overdubbed on top of it, a high falsetto octave on top. It's super weird and creepy. I love it. It's also the juxtaposition of just the band and guitars just being so loud and noisy, and but then it's this vocal on top of it, and it still moves.
Okay, so maybe I did play the whole song. Whatever. Uh, okay, so you also know, if you listen to the show, for the most part, I'm a pretty big lyrics guy. Love the lyrics. Couldn't tell you. Now, I can sing along with the song, but right now you tell me, uh, what are the lyrics to Out There? Just listen to it. Don't know. Don't give a shit. I've never, I don't think I know any uh, Dinosaur Jr. lyrics. That's not why I listen to them at all. Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird how some bands, it's all I care about, and some I don't listen to at all. It's weird. All right, moving on. Okay, so this is going back in time and kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Someone who's actually, I feel like, influenced me a lot, but it might, it's probably not obvious um, when you, if you were to listen to stuff that I write or produce or whatever. But, and I'm going to play kind of a, you know, if you know, if you know Nick Drake, that's who I'm talking about. Everyone knows this song, but I would imagine maybe there's a lot of you guys that haven't listened to him, and um, I kind of toiled over which song to pick, but you can't really, you can't really shit on this one. You know what I mean? Uh, this is a song called Pink Moon. So I written and I saw it say Pink Moon is on its way None of you stand so tall Pink Moon gonna get you on It's like a waterfall. Zoe written and a Zoe say Bring the moon is on its way None of you stand so tall Bring the moon and I get you Another example of uh, what are the lyrics to that one? I mean, he's got such a thick accent, and so much of it just sounds like I have no, I don't know. But I love the recording. I love his voice. He writes in weird, fucked up alternate tunings, and there's so much. Uh, his his guitar. He's one of those players that his guitar. Um, 
takes care of the drums, the bass, and the melody all at the same time with the way he plays. Uh, love him or hate him, Dave Matthews the same way. I'm One thing I can say about myself is that I'm a really good rhythm player, and it's because I sat around for hours as a teenage young man trying to learn those fucking ninth bar chord stretches and weird percussive things he would he was doing but it it was good for me because I was a drummer first right and it was one of the first times I really felt like I was applying what I learned as a drummer directly to guitar um, and it just helped my right hand so much and it helped my kind of get some dexterity in my left hand so and if you any of you guys are or were Dave Matthews fans like I was um, and you've tried to play that stuff come on that's weird shit. It's great. Um, all right, this one I feel like I just shouldn't have to say anything or explain anything because um, it's fucking Otis Redding. But I'll tell you what, my observation of the, the, the beginning of the show about uh, the 60s, 70s, like people didn't think all the way to the end of the song, so everything is just a fucking deflating uh, fade out. Here's another example. But again, like I said before, the first seven eighths of the song is so good that you don't really give a shit about the ending of the fade out. But the ending was definitely missing from a lot of the great music of the past. Tell you that much. But you want to go back to people just emoting. Um, it's this guy. For me, anyway. I, You know, the stuff that's influenced me or affected me or... Whatever, I have to put, I have to put Otis on here. It's got to be done. Um, this is a song called The, uh, wait, did I pick the right one? Yep, this is These Arms of Mine. These arms of mine, they are are so back in the mix but they're so good I will 
Okay, I mean, are you not moved by that? Are you a human being? How can you not be moved by that? That fucking voice. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean... Either you get it or you don't. And I'm not, I'm not judging if you don't. Honestly, I'm not. I just can't imagine hearing that voice and not, uh, I don't know. Like I said, just being moved. Getting the goosebumps. Getting that, that feeling. I don't know. Um, I don't know why I picked it. So I'm at the end. Uh, if you stuck it through this whole thing, thank you so much for hanging out. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, send us some emails. We're going to keep doing these. So those of you that do enjoy the solo episodes, don't, you know, feel free to write in any questions to either or both of us for any time that we do a, uh, a solo episode. We like having those in the bank. Because I, I just remembered I did that for one of the solo. Maybe it was the first solo episode that I did. And that was a lot of fun. And I haven't done that since. So those of you that are listening, send in some questions for me or for Brad or for both of us. And we'll, uh, we'll go through those and make them part of these solo episodes. Uh, the last song, we're just going to kind of end on this one. This is going to be it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I love this band. And I just recently started listening to uh, what I think is their best record, my favorite record. Again, I'm probably biased because I was a young lad when it came out, but uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, I think, is just a monster record. And I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I put together this like huge playlist in my Apple Music to just hit, uh, hit, hit shuffle on and just make me listen re-listen to old stuff that maybe i wouldn't just think to pull back up and obviously i put blood sugar sex magic um a lot of songs off that record on the mix and the sound of this record is insane the drum sound the guitar sound the vocal sounds uh there's a lot of footage that you can find on youtube about them making this record it's amazing, but these fucking lyrics, man. I mean, I knew even back then, you know, just just overtly sexual and a lot of just male hubris and, I don't know, shit that just wouldn't fly today, I don't think. Maybe it would. Maybe it's not that different. I don't know. But I just remember thinking like, oh, God, could you put this record out today? I don't know if you could. Or you could, but you just get a lot of shit and I don't know, man. But um I still love it. Thanks for listening. This is gonna be suck my kiss. Yeah, that's the one I picked. I don't know why. I mean I figured under the bridge, come on, we've all heard that a million times. Uh and it's great. Um and I know this was a single too, but um forget the lyrics, just the it feels like a fucking heavy hitting in your face fucking song. It's just really kind of raw and I love it. Thanks for listening, you guys. Uh email single podcast theory at gmail dot com. The both of us, the Brads, will be back very, very soon uh to talk more Pearl Jam with you guys. Um and until then, I'm Brad Lyons saying bye bye and here's a little red hot chili peppers for you.
päin. Bye-bye. 